Welcome to another episode of Crowdfunding Nerds. Have you ever thought about selling your business one day? Well, this is the episode for you. Or perhaps you want to license your IP for your super successful Kickstarter game. This is also the episode for you. We get into the weeds here, but it is, there's lots of helpful information that I know you're going to find helpful. Let's get into it. Game begin. Let's go. I used to be a marketer like you until I took an arrow to the knee. Hey, everybody, and welcome to another awesome episode of Crowdfunding Nerds. I am your host, Andrew Lowen, and I am joined, as always, by Sean and not Rick. Instead of Rick this week, we have a business broker by the name of Brian Gonzalez, who is here to chat about um, running your business with excellence. So welcome to the, to the show, Brian. Hey, thank you, Andrew and Sean. I appreciate the invitation. Yeah. Well, I'm really excited because on this episode, we plan on talking about um, so the concept of running a business with excellence, your end game is to sell a business, is to help somebody sell their business and, you know, kind of golden parachute out or silver parachute. I don't know. Um, but the, the idea is every business is going to end in one of two ways. Either it's going to be, you know, and it, it, there's never a business that goes on forever, right? It either gets sold or it gets shut down. And I've seen both, you know, in, in my, in my history. And, um, I think that the, um, the aim of this podcast isn't necessarily this particular podcast episode isn't necessarily to help people to sell their businesses, although that is what you can help with. Uh, and maybe we'll dive into that, but it's to run businesses with excellence because I would much rather see people sell their businesses than just shut them off. Um, and you know, at the, at the end of the day, right. We're all working towards something. We all kind of envision five years from now, we're going to be further ahead than we were, you know, in, in the past, our our future selves are going to be more successful than our past selves and in a better position financially and all of the other, the other, um, elements of, of life. But, um, it's not always the case, but so what I really wanted to talk about is how to run the business with excellence today to prepare for that future. And so that's really where I thought you would be a perfect, perfect person to chat um, on this topic. Well, I appreciate that, Andrew. I, um, you know, I have seen a lot of it, you know, in many different forms from entrepreneurs to business owners to founders. I have some pieces of paper on the wall. So one of them says MBA. And I, you know, there's a couple things that you want to keep in mind, you know, that, or I should say that initially come to mind when you talk about running a business with excellence, you know, you kind of hit on the sense of, of, you know, you're either going to shut down or you're going to, or, or sell it. Right. And, you know, I was taught in an early age and reinforced in the MBA that in business, you're either growing or dying, you know, and I think yeah. that that's important to realize, um, as an operational point, I think it's also important to realize that because you're either going to sell it or shut it down, you do need to start to some degree with the end in mind. You know, you should have a goal and maybe you have a sales goal, but what happens when you reach it? What happens when you get there? You know, it's tough to become, you know, to, to reach your goals. It's tougher to stay there and to reach more, right? So to some degree, I think that Operating a business with excellence means that you do need to know 
where you're going with it. And that inherently requires that you have some sort of end in mind. I think another thing to keep in mind is having a maybe a contingency plan because maybe once you're on top of the mountain, the view isn't as great as you think it is. And maybe, you know, running a business, you sort of romanticized. And when you actually get to that stage where you have this profitable business, you actually don't enjoy it. You don't like what you're doing. Maybe it's a bit all too consuming. So having a strategy in place in which you can transition or get out of there and, and do something else, it might be worth considering as well. Is that yeah, something sure. that you, you often encounter with your clients? You often just find people who are like, well, this wasn't what I thought it would be and I, I'm ready to sell. Yeah, you know, that's going to happen, Sean. I mean, that, that's kind of the idea, right, of having the end in mind. I mean, what's the end? You can say that the end is defined by reaching that point. You know, most business owners in the world, at some point, maybe once a year, maybe once a day, maybe once a month, they're kind of like, well, not sure I want to do this anymore. It might be money related. It might be personal related. But what are we going to do now? Right. And if you don't have some sort of idea of where you're going, then you're going to be stuck in the circumstance of no plan. And then you're going to be, yeah. where are you financially? What's the valuation? Those types of things. So again, you kind of want to think about what's the end game, whether that's an exit, you know, selling the business whether that's, you know, transferring it to a family member, you know, but you do need to kind of think that out because one thing we know for sure is that you're going to get tired of it in one way or another. Yeah, what do you think about, uh, I just, oh, go ahead, go ahead. sorry, Andrew, for, for jumping in. Do you ever, do you ever recommend that people don't sell their business that, and that they just stop because uh, there's probably an element of legacy as well, uh, especially if your name is sort of associated with something, you you might not want to risk someone else, you know, taking on your brand or continuing your your legacy, and then maybe kind of a little bit of run, pride running there, it to the ground, not wanting to shut off. Sorry, maybe well, even a little bit of pride I, too. Possibly, you know, I think that you know, having a legacy, you know. I think as as people age, I think the legacy becomes less about, you know, what you did and more about what you can get or what you can give to your family. And, you know, so it sounds good. And just to dummy it down, you know, when you're, you know, when you're ready to wrap up and you had a good successful run, you know, it's kind of like, well, if I, if I stop now, then I'm kind of going to make it a legend. And, you know, and, and, or I did a good job and no one can ruin it. But the reality is, is that I see once you mature, maybe personally or as a business owner, you're, you want the money for it. I mean, just, just to be yeah. frank, you know, and it's not so much about what the next person's going to do with it. Now, if you make a brand that is enormous, you know, like an Amazon, you know, something mm -hmm. that's, that's unfathomable, well, that, Mattel, what have you, um, you know, that. That might be a little different, but you're still going to want to get paid for it. You know, mm -hmm. that's what I'm getting at. Yeah, you know, I, I find there's um, this mentality when a business is successful, you know, there are going to be people that will, you know, contact you sometimes out of nowhere and offer to buy it. Mm -hmm. And um, even sometimes when a business is not super successful, but has momentum, you know, meaning not super like financially profitable, financially successful. And, you know, obviously, oh, this business is, 
going places necessarily, but just has like momentum. I've, I've had people reach out to me to, um, invest in deliverance as a project. You know, I've, I've had, um, the offer to purchase next level web. I mean, just, uh, this most recent year I had somebody, um, asked to purchase my company so that I could work full-time for them in there. And, and our staff would work full-time for them in their, uh, with their kind of handful of ventures that they're working on. And I think that, you know, as regardless of our, our financial position, it's not unhealthy, but we're still, you know, we're still growing and bootstrapping and, and everything just like, mm-hmm. uh, all the other small businesses out there, I think. But, um, when you get more, maybe name recognition or so you, you see, you know, people get to see some external momentum, then you'll get people interested in that. Um, and I had one client one time that was, um, you know, they're constantly courted with, you know, they have, a you know, I guess, uh, they, they make like between 10 and $30 million a year as a company and they constantly get courted by larger organizations to purchase them. And they, um, told me, you know, they, they had like a pretty significant offer. Everything always comes with strings attached though. Um, and you know, it's not just like, Hey, I'll give you, you know, so many millions of dollars to get out. It's like, you know, they want you to work for a certain, so many years and then they want you to, if things go bad, then they're, they're going to get all that money back from you and leave you with an empty, you know, a shell of a business and other, I mean, there are a lot of sketchy things that these larger investment groups do to kind of, you know, so that it doesn't work out perfectly. But, um, so with this particular client, there were other reasons to turn down those offers. But, um, one of the things that they said to me was, why would we let someone else buy the business when we could just grow it ourselves and then sell it for twice as much? Um, you know, the momentum is there and we have the vision and the path forward and all of that. This is definitely, um, you know, they're playing at a much larger level than I am. I mean, you know, our, our marketing company, most of our clients, <clears throat> you know, we have half of our business in SEO marketing, about half of our clients are, are bigger than us. They need to be bigger than us. You know, um, if, if, they're bringing on a marketing agency to, to do stuff. I mean, they're, they're probably, um, you know, so they're, they're not going to typically, you know, on that end, they're not startups, but, um, but I just thought that was really interesting where the, the answer to like, why, like, we're not going to sell it because we can just grow it ourselves and profit instead. It reminded me of the hen that baked the bread, you mm-hmm. know, and no one wanted to help or something. So she's like, right. we're going to eat it. I don't know. Just, it was, it was a really curious experience. I was like, you know, if it were me, like I would love to have that much money, you know, and I don't know why you would not jump for it uh, at some, some part of me is like, man, that's, that's like a lot, like you would be set for life. But then when you're in the midst of it and able to push harder for another, you know, two to three years and then sell for much more, I mean, that's, that was kind of their mentality. I don't know what your thoughts are on that. Well, I, I think that there's, you know, I, I think that that's they're running a play there. You know, they 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 think that they can get some money now. It sounds like a lot of money, but they also think, you know, probably from their hard work and research that if they keep um, getting wins, that they could double it. And they're probably right. The question becomes if that's the risk, mm-hmm. right? Because yep. as you know, things don't necessarily work out as planned, right? And that's the idea because. And and when you think about it, 
when in anything in life, especially in business, you're going to run certain plays, right? I'm an athlete. I'm going to talk about play. I'm going to analogize mm-hmm. the sports the whole time. And some of them work and some of them don't, right? Mm-hmm. Now, if you have this, this company, this, this company you were talking about and the, the founders or the owners or the decision makers were, were starting to tire of it, but they had a really solid plan. I think their decision would have taken a little bit longer. So I think that, you know, there's personal reasons, you know, uh, medical, uh, the wife or this, you know, the real CEO of the world doesn't like it. Um, you know, stuff like that, your children, you have to move parental mm-hmm. care. There's all these things that come in personally that would affect a decision like that, you know, because, and, and, and therefore, Hey, I don't want to take that risk, even though mm-hmm. I'm, it's a calculated and the odds are in my favor. It's just, I'm going to take the money and run. And it's like the price is right, right? You know, do you want the money now or do you want to bet it on, or do you want to bet it all? You know, and that's kind of, and so where you're at in life. But yeah, I I see that. And, you know, the reality is, is that there are just as many, the only ones you hear about are the stories that, where that person took that risk and they're successful. You rarely hear about the majority of those people who do never get an offer like that again. You know, and that's that's important to remember because they don't write about those people. They only write about the people that actually took the risk and made it. And they're one of, you know, it's one in a million. You got to be careful, you know, and that's at, at my age. You know, I don't not saying I'm old, 53. I'm going to take the money, frankly. <laughs> you know what I mean, <laughs> frankly, I'm going to take the money. So. So we all play with two currencies, I feel, and one of them is money and the other one's time. And you can't get time back. And sometimes you can trade um, time. You know, I mean, you can trade time for money, but it's rare to be able to trade money for more time, right? And um, I think that you know, in, in the end, they say all of the best things in life, they don't cost money. You can't really buy them. You know, Love and family and friends and um, experiences and other things like that. Uh, but but yeah, it's it is curious, you know. I I find um, sometimes I've seen it like you like you're talking about where people get a little too greedy and they end up not selling and then they end up kind of shutting down. Um, you know, so I've we've worked on, I mean, you know, excluding our crowdfunding nerd stuff, which we've worked with um, about 175 Kickstarter campaigns mm-hmm. um, or GameFound campaigns, but. Uh, excluding that, um, we, I've worked for over 800 um, other businesses, well over 800 just over the course of, I guess it's been um, 14 years that we've been in business, about about that long. And um, <clears throat> it's a really strange thing to see when somebody, they get an offer that wasn't as much as they thought it was worth. Now, this this the problem, I think, that we should talk about is how much you think it's worth, you know, how much you believe you should get paid because you worked so hard on this thing. Um, that actually has very little relation sometimes to what somebody is willing to offer you for the thing. And sometimes I, I think like I mentioned pride earlier, you know, hubris maybe is a better word for it. I don't know, but you're, you're like, I put so much into this and I'm selling it for an amount that is, or, you know, they're offering me an amount that's well below what I think I deserve um, for all of this time and hard work and effort and energy. Um, you know, I, 
like for for myself, like I when I when I looked at that that offer, it was um they they offered me um like a, a I mean you know I try to be open on crowdfunding nerds. I hope you guys don't think I'm like the you know for all our listeners. I hope you guys value my openness and my transparency because I'm about to give you some numbers here. Um, but they they offered me one hundred twenty five thousand dollars to hand them over the reins of the business. Uh, that's just cash to po- deposit into my bank account. And I would have a job that would, that I would make 125,000 a year, um, with a vested, you know, over the course of like five years, I would kind of regain 10% of the equity of the company or, or some, or, or, or so. And then I'd have another 10% of the equity of the company that I could hand out to key employees and things like that. Um, and, um, I, I looked at it and I thought, you know, this is cool. Like I could put in like a metal building for a garage that I really want, um, on our property. And I'd actually have a garage for our cars and maybe a workout room <laughs> and whatever. And maybe I could add like a fence to the front of the property or something. That'd be cool. And I realized, you know, I, I would look at this metal building, like after I sold this thing, you know, it's like, I would look at this metal building and say, I gave my company away for this metal building. Like, I hope it was worth it, you know, and this, you know, and now I'm an employee working for someone else and, um, you know, that they could, oh, and it was guaranteed employment for five years, you know, it's like the thing, but I'm sure that there are, I mean, I'm not like the most educated human out there, but I'm sure that there are ways around some of this stuff. Like if, if I'm not performing all of my duties to the right, you know, um, uh, whatever the, you know, if I'm not hitting all the benchmarks perfectly, like maybe it can just terminate me. And then I'm like, I have a middle building and also a mortgage to pay and no job or whatever. But <laughs> I just thought, you know, at the end of the day, where, what is this, what does this get me? If I, if I sold this, I would have to go start something from like, you know, I would have to start from the ground up again if I wanted to grow. Um, or I would then have, you know, be thrust into the, a typical job market or, um, other things like that. And I just thought, you know, this doesn't, it is money and they like money, but it's not, it doesn't really give me something like what I have right now is stability. And I am young enough that I can continue to work. And flexibility. And, uh, yeah. Yeah. And, and autonomy with my schedule and whatnot, like that, that supports all of the things I do, including all of the children I have and all of the, you know, um, the, deliverance is a project you know it's right now it's just a very expensive hobby for me at least um and other uh, things like that you know those are things i'm passionate about and next level web and crowdfunding nerds is really the thing that enables all of those things to to function and i'm in charge of of that you know i can run it straight into the ground you know i'm i'm fully capable of running it straight into the ground but i mean it's it just seemed like it wasn't worth it for me yeah, well, I you know, it's a moment in time and you have to kind of decide at that moment, right? I think what you know, your your cost benefit analysis is a moment in time based on that offer. You know, when you were explaining it, the first thing that came to mind is counter offer, okay? And mm-hmm. and then the next thing that came to my mind is, you know, get somebody like me or someone that season and being able to at least advise you because maybe we could have got, you know, if they're doing five years at 125, you know, we're talking about, 
you know, 625 plus the 125. So, the, 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 you know, just to use your math, I think the total package is 750. So it's kind of mm-hmm. like, well, I'll take 500. You know, I, you know, maybe I'm taking 250 in cash, 250 in equity. And then I'm, you know, I'll agree to a, to a, to an employment contract, you know, for one year at 125. But if I bolt, you know, I get another 125, you know, something of that nature where you start trying to Mm -hmm. plan it so that you could jump ship if you decided to do it. Um, You know, personally, if you, what if you were like, Hey, maybe you, you have stability in your model, but let's say you didn't. And, mm-hmm. you know, some people are seeking a paycheck, right? And if you were in that situation, then we try to renegotiate it to get to a point where you're, um, you know, you get, a, you get a lump sum and a paycheck, right? Mm-hmm. And, and maybe some equity. So I think it, it, it depends on that. But I think the important part there is to reach out to discuss it because, um, you know, clearly they're interested. We always say no to the first pencil, right? I mean, you just, that's the way it goes. And, <laughs> and like then you need, you I need reject your first that, offer. Yeah. What's your second offer? Yeah, yeah. You, 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 of course not, but you don't tell them that. And then reach out because <laughs> there are people out there, all on me, that are sitting around, you know, I don't want to say sitting around, but, you know, I mean, you're 27 as a business owner, a business broker, business lawyer, right? And I'm, you know, my dad gave me a promissory note when I was 12. You know, I mean, the deal structure and negotiation and interest rates and equity and all of that, you know, at 53. So that was 40, you know, I can't even do the math, 39 years ago. You know, it's something that was a part of my upbringing and my education and experience. So there are people out there like me that will, you know, immediately think, okay, let's, let's start strategizing a little bit because maybe there is a way that we can kind of get, make it worth your while. But, you know, if, if it's not, you're young, you have good ideas, you have traction, you have more wins than losses. Sure. Yeah. Why am I going to give this up? You have autonomy, you know. So um, so we could probably sweeten that deal. Don't know if, if you wanted to, if you wanted some semblance of it. Yeah. And that's, you know, what I what I told the guy was that um, it doesn't make any sense. <laughs> <laughs> Triple your offer. Now, I I actually told him, look, you know, this is my mortgage that I have to pay every month, and if if I, you know, unless I pay this off in full, it's just not even worthwhile for me to consider it because I have the same expenses, and you know, I I it just at this point, I would rather continue to work and maintain this autonomy and all of that, you know, and it just it was something that I felt like. You know, what if he did that though? And I thought, even if he did, I just, I think that where I'm at in life today, I feel that I, I don't think I would be ahead. You know, I just Mm -hmm. think I would be, I would be changing my situation. I would be, you know, make some, some money here and there, but I'd have the same stressors as everybody else. I have bills to get paid. It might be $2,000 a month less than before. But I've got, you know, significant uh, bills that are, you know, I, my family still needs to eat and, we, you know, we have property taxes and all of that. And, um, you know, what what we're doing now is working. So, I don't know. It's just like rocking the boat was a big, um, a big uh, question mark. And then on top of that, you know, the, I thought I really thought about my team. 
you know, like Sean and Rick and all of the other people that were, that were part. And I thought, you know, number one, I wanted to make sure that they were taken care of, but, um, their employment was kind of, um, a, uh, the continued employment was a thing that was, uh, relevant, um, you know, to the, to the, the buyer, he wanted to keep the team in place and everything. But I thought, you know, I worked so hard to put that team together. It just, you know, they fell into place in the right ways and that sort of thing, you know, and, and, uh, to lose all of that would be, um, you know, a big, a big loss, you know, for, for the ventures that, that I'm, that I'm on right now. So I don't know. It was a, you know, maybe it's a bad move. Maybe it was a great move. I, you know, I'm okay with your move. Right. And I want to, I want to make sure that, you know, you realize that, you know, that sounds good, Andrew, like that's very nice way to put it. I agree with you, but let's, in reality, everybody has a price, mm-hmm. including you and your employees, whether that price is just money or time or equity, you know, employment contracts to continue a golden parachute, those types of things. Right. But, you know, there is a price. Right. And so, mm-hmm. you know, I, I think that's important to point out because you have a subjective value, a labor of love for whatever it is, the attributes of what you have now, right? But you also are a person that creates ideas. You're also a person that can create another one. And if you could swan song your baby here mm-hmm. and come out with a chunk of money and an, an investment money to start your next project, you know, that would be the kind of price that I would see with someone like you, mm-hmm. you know? It is possible. And then as far as employees, I, I, they, they, they are critical. You know, I'm a big believer in, in, in employee satisfaction is customer satisfaction. I mean, just put it that way. But with that said, you know, in my line of work, when I see a transition of a new owner, so to speak, I see employees transition out. And it really comes down to a moment or a day where they're like, hey, I'm leaving. I've sold it. This is a new owner. And there's a little bit of sadness, but most owner, most sellers are amazed at how quickly that their employees <laughs> say, Hey, uh, you know, they look at the like, nice knowing you, Andrew, and I'm just dumbing it down. Mm-hmm. Nice knowing you, Andrew. Hey, Brian, <laughs> am I going to get my same pay and same time off? You know, the reality is, is that we're all mm-hmm. kind of loyal to our situation at home, which relates right. to our pay and time off. Right. And so I, I was always amazed. It happened to me early, you know, I would say in my twenties when I, when I sold my first company and I was like, I have these relationships, you know, I have like an, like an auntie and a grandma here, you know, they love me. They didn't love me. They didn't love me that much. <laughs> you know, they called me a couple of times, but at the end of the day, you know, they, they're more, they're more focused on what they get from it. Now, and, 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 but with that said, I mean, I'm still friends, you know, and that kind of thing, but you, you get what I'm saying. Yeah, yeah. So one thing I'd like to jump into, maybe change gears a little bit. Let's let's say we're in a situation where someone wants to sell their business. What are the types of things that buyers are, are looking for, and what are some of the reasons are they buying a business? Is it to acquire your audience? So they might, you know, just buy your audience and then shut your business down. Are they are they purchasing you because you're a competitor? They just don't want to. I think you know it was, it was John D. Rockefeller who said. A competition is a sin, so they could just be buying you out so that they don't want to deal with a competition. <laughs> and then uh, maybe the, the so sort of the other question off the back of that is: Do when you're selling your business, do you just wait for someone to come to you, or 
is there a marketplace somewhere where you can, you know, say, Hey, I, I've got this business. I want to sell it. Well, how, how do you even go about selling your business? So I suppose the first question is, uh, what elements does your business need to have to be sellable? And then number two is where would you sell it? Well, I think that, um, you know, along the lines of a buyer's perspective on the first question, you know, it's very difficult to earn, to gain market share in most industries, right? So you, 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 you expand by acquisition, right? You know, I can build a certain customer list, but, you know, for whatever geographical limits or whatever your limits are, you can't really add to that. And how are you supposed to compete? So that's why you have companies acquiring other ones because you get their audience right mm -hmm. now they, yep. and sometimes that's enough you know sometimes it's a location sometimes it's a product sometimes it's an audience you know sometimes it's suppliers sometimes it's buyers contracts that are in there you know those are of value to people a lot of buyers think that they're better than sellers they can do it better than you right so you might not have done it very well you know, or you might be breaking even or whatever, but you have, you know, certain amount of people that have bought your product, you know, and so they want to grab that. They want to grab that audience. So you're kind of hitting it on the head. Um, but there's a lot of motivations. Why? But th those are the primary ones. They see some sort of value with their existing operation or they see that they can bring value. And that kind of boils down to that. They think they can do a better job with it. And mm -hmm. I have to tell sellers that I work with to let them think that. This isn't a battle of egos. We're trying to sell your business. This is why we're, we're working together, right? Mm -hmm. You made that decision. So let's not get, let's not take too much ownership on, you know, over that, you know, take the dive, in other words, and, and realize that let the buyer think what he wants. If they want to have an ego <laughs> is what it is. Okay. So what do you do? Well, uh, it kind of relates to what we kind of started with. And, 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 that, and that first question is that buyers don't buy on potential. You know, they're not buying at what could generally could potentially happen. Buyers are going to buy, you know, 99.9% .9 because of revenue and net profit, right? They're going to buy because of revenue and net profit minus mm -hmm. an extraordinary invention, you know, that hasn't been tapped into or something of that nature. But, you know, 99.9% .9 it's revenue and not, and net profit. Uh, so not potential. So then what do we got to do? We have to make sure that this, you know, another thing I think that relates is that people ask me is, you know, when's it a good time to sell? You know, there's only one good time to sell. It's when you're doing well, because then mm -hmm. you're going to have more revenue and net, right? Otherwise yeah. it's a fire sale, Right. Then it's a fire sale, if that makes sense. So you, you kind of, and the, the, the example that Andrew brought up, it was, you know, um, he was doing well. That's the time to sell. So then that leans back. What should you do to prepare to sell? I think that's important to remember because no one's going to buy it if it's a fire sale, if it's not making money generally, right? So you have to kind of have some semblance of a roadmap of where you're going, right? And you have mm -hmm. to be measuring along the way, if mm. that makes sense, right? Because yes. you can't just, oh, I want to sell it. It takes, it takes an average of six and a half months to sell a business. Mm. You know, if you're desperate, it's not going to sell. There's not a, the buyer pool isn't so big, like, like a house or an apartment. That's shelter. Everybody needs that. Not everybody needs to buy your business in your industry and has the money to do it. 
and the time to run it, right? So yeah. you have a narrow, you have a shallow buyer. So you have to prepare it in that sense that you have to try to run it to maximize the revenue in the net. Finally, is that when you um, decide that you, you know, when you decide that you want to sell, or maybe before, let me go back to that, is that reach out to people that um, so people like me, even business brokers, well, they're, they'll look at your business. Many of us do complimentary and confidential valuations, and we can kind of see what's going on and then talk to you a little bit and then say, okay, you know, this is where you're at here. But if we can, we can write, raise the sales, lower the expenses somehow, we can get into the particulars of that, you know, in those moments that your business is going to have a better value in a year. You know, where's the economy going? So you want to enlist people, you know, a good time before you you actually sell it and you want to get those valuations and get those discussions. So that's part of how you sell it, right? So how mm-hmm. would I sell a business or where would I sell it? Well, I would consult a, a broker or or someone that can value your business. And then I would see if it's a good time to sell it, so to speak, that, you know, this is about the best I'm going to do or, or in the next year, I'm not going to be able to increase it by five or 10%. So let's start now. And then I would hire a broker because, you know, you need to keep running the business for your Hmm. sanity, but also so that you can maintain the revenue and the net because no one's going to come along when people, when buyers come along, they're going to come along and say, Hey, you know, give me three years of financials and then give me your 12 months trailing profit and loss. That means the last 12 months, your profit and loss statement, your income and expenses, right? Because you're only as good as last month, generally, right? And so you have to expect that coming out. So that requires that you're running your business normally because you need to maximize the revenue in the net because most people don't buy on potential, right? So you want to use a broker or some sort of expert to get them in there to do an initial valuation so that you can figure out whether it's you can increase the performance and you have the time to do that. If you can't increase it too much, well, then you put it up for sale. When you put it up for sale, you have to keep operating the business. You need to trust people that are in this business so that they can prepare the marketing, the the package, the profile, the listing, those types of things. They can basically do their job. They can do the marketing. They can vet buyers. They can negotiate, do the contracting, manage the escrow, figure out how the buyer is going to structure it with loans and stuff like that. You know, we know we could all do these things, right? You could do those things, but you're going to get into a do-it-yourself model and your performance of your business is going to go down. If the performance of your business is going to go down, it's going to be reflected on a 12-month trailing Profit and loss, the immediate last 12 months, you're going to get a lower price. It's really that simple. Again, six and a half months average to sell a business, right? It's not going to sell Mm -hmm. overnight. And then would you compile a proposal or a a slideshow? How how does this usually, how does the sale pitch usually sort of manifest itself? Is it something that you prepare like this, you know, booklet that you hand to someone? Do you have like a face-to-face meeting? Generally you, you, you consult with a broker and then you, um, you know, we start with a confidential complimentary valuation and then we, we review it. We have to make sure we're on the same page. I get people coming to me saying, Hey, I need a million. And the valuation is at a hundred thousand. 
I'm not that broker that's going to list it. After 27 years, I just, you know, I don't, I don't take anything that walks in the door. But conversely, I also have people that come in and say, I need a hundred thousand and it's worth a million. We're leaving money on the table. So we want to start with that valuation so that we are on the same page. Me, my office and, 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 and seller, right? Assuming that's good and the financials are in order, then we kind of have to, the seller has to determine a, a, a price and asking price out of the gate. That seems to be legitimate. We'll take the listing, go through a listing agreement, um, and then we build the offering, which means a little bit of homework for the seller, but you know, kind of more than nuts and bolts. How much is your inventory? You know, how much is your furniture, fixtures, and equipment? You know, um, are we going to include those things? Do you have any receivables? Those types of questions. We kind of get it to where the offering makes sense with the valuation, right? And we, and we look up some businesses and, and see if they're, they're kind of doing the same thing in the same area, that kind of stuff. So some comps. We put yeah. that into a, a listing. And then we also build a confidential business profile. Basically, the listing is, is everything about your business except the name of it, you know, and I don't want to say everything about it, but it gives you more of the top line numbers, maybe a couple lease terms, what you do, what area you do it in, maybe some sales figures. That's what we get people to buy it on, whether we're contacting them or whether we do post it at certain places. And, you know, when people hit on those or respond to those, then we're going to send them a non-disclosure agreement. It's going to ask, you know, where do you live? What's your email? How many funds do you have available? Right. We get that back. We vet it. We look up the address. We look at the domain ending of the email address. We, we have to make sure that these people are legit, you know, because there are people just kind of wasting time, right? So we're trying to screen those for our sellers. Most people pass muster. And if they do with that, then we'll countersign the NDA and we'll send them the confidential business profile. That's four to six slides that are very um, much more telling. It's going to name the business. We never name the seller, but it's going to name the business. And it's going to show them some pictures and, and additional data, maybe at least terms maybe some loan terms, stuff like that. At that point, if they're interested more, then we usually ask for proof of funds. And what I mean, interest, if a buyer's interested more, they either want to talk to you or visit or, or, or get even more information. At that point, we, we ask for some sort of bank statement that's going to show that this is possible, whether it's a down payment with a bank or whether it's, you know, they can buy it cash. At that point, you know, we, we, we provide the information or the interview or the visit, and then we get to, you know, are we ready to do a letter of intent or we want to make an offer? And we get into that contracting and, and there's some contingencies in there. And then once that's done, you know, you close escrow, you get your money, you have a transition meeting. Um, I'm giving it to you in a very compact way. <laughs> you know, there's a lot more to it. It's not necessarily, it's similar uh, the cadence is similar to maybe buying or selling a house, but it's not the same because we're dealing with so many intangibles, you know, your phone number, your brand, all intangible assets, mm -hmm. um, the valuation, you know, we're dealing with a lot more attributes and a lot more numbers. We're also dealing with buyers. A lot of buyers may not know how to structure their acquisition, right? So as you'd imagine, I have a ton of bankers all over me. Um, and, and just, you know, I've educated myself with them. And so I work with the buyers, um, whether to help them structure it, um, to work with bankers, talk them off the ledge, or I talk, I talk sellers off the ledge too. So 
That's kind you, of what we do in a nutshell. That's how you would do it. Enlist help. Use the experts. Don't do it yourself. Run your business. Try to grow it so that people see the real value in it. Right? I, yeah, I would say um, one one other thing that, especially with board game companies and other you know product based businesses, the intellectual properties that they have are probably one of the um, the the things worth an intangible amount of money um, because. If, uh, you know, like we saw recently this, this, um, month, we had Mythic Games sold a couple of different properties, or maybe it was earlier, um, in, in January. Mythic Games sold a couple of properties to Simon, which are two companies, you know, they sold a couple of their mm -hmm. intellectual properties, some of which had yet to be delivered. And, um, they, because they were, it looked like they were going to default on their, uh, commitment to deliver the, the, the product. And, um, they, and Simon elected to to buy that for an undisclosed amount and fulfill all of the backers that had purchased. Although it wasn't the original thing that they backed, it was at least something. Um, so they figured out what they could afford and they fulfilled or they're going to fulfill something right. to each of those backers. And uh, I find that that's really interesting. I've had people um, asked to buy the deliverance intellectual property before. It was actually, you know, after, after Kickstarter, um, you know, when we made a good amount, it's like three hundred fourteen thousand dollars for our first project. We had a company reach out to purchase, and um, they just wanted the IP. They wanted to purchase the IP for a flat mm -hmm. amount uh, because they saw they they had a vision that they could take it a lot further. And um, you know, they're more they're well connected and so on and so forth. Um, also, I see I see companies like you you mentioned. Um, the this this thing happens by acquisition and um. You know, for all the people listening to this, I find for for myself, I don't know, I don't know about you guys, but I find that I, it it seems kind of pie in the sky in so many different ways, and maybe even not relevant to me when I, you know, you you might think that when you're talking about you know the business and how people might come to you to acquire your 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 products and whatnot, but um, Asmodee, for example, or Asmodee, I don't know what they're. How you, how you say it, they eat a lot of companies. I mean, there, there are companies out there that that get acquired by Asmodee or Asmodee or whatever. Uh, Ravensburger is another company that acquires. Mm -hmm. And there are other, there are a lot of companies that acquire based on intellectual properties where they say, ah, I see this, this product. You know, we would like to add this as a portfolio in our line that we could expand. And, you know, if your game does something interesting or if your product does something interesting, then there will be companies that, have um, a vision for how they, what they can do with it. So mm -hmm. uh, there's this kind of intangible amount in addition to bank statements and um, you know uh, like the prop the twelve years profit loss, three years taxes, other things like that. Uh, there are companies that will say, "I want this," you know, intellectual property. Uh, for I don't know, random example, Jamie Stegmeyer's Wingspan. There are a lot of companies that would probably be interested to take that IP and and just just run with it because mm -hmm. it's proven very successful and. Maybe Asmodee would be able to, um, uh, you know, expand that further and get into different markets and they just have more people. So they're going to be able to make higher amounts of revenue with that. And um, it would complement their machine very well, you know. And so those are certain things that are a lot more common in the board game space or, or you know, 
really product based space. Yeah, it reminds me. You know, when I first became a lawyer, I was a I was a I was a music licensing lawyer, right? And um, back in '97, and it reminds me of songwriters because that's basically what I was doing. I was handling mm-hmm. licenses, and it's you know, it's kind of sounds like that. You have people that are making you know money off of writing songs and selling the songs. They don't perform them; they just wrote them. You know, it's amazing. Um, what, what, you know, so it sounds like that. So absolutely, you know, um, their uh, companies get to a point and people get to a point where there's, there's just nothing left in the tank to create. So I need to get these creators in here. Uh, you know, that's not what they do. Maybe they're the singers of the world. They're not, or the performers of the world, but they're not the writers of the world, right. Mm-hmm. Think of it in those terms. So where am I going to find these writers? You know, and analogy, what you're saying is that, Hey, we have kind of spent all our creative talent here. You know, there's no more thoughts. You know, we need some ideas or we need to, you know, and then, okay, let's get them. Um, let's buy them or let's buy that property from them. Right. And, and Brian, is that something that you could help businesses with? Let's say that someone was to come to Andrew and say, Hey, Andrew, I, I want to buy uh, a license of the deliverance products. I think this would make a really cool miniatures war game. Um, so I want to just, you know, issue a license with you is that something that you could help negotiate oh, and, and sort of secure? absolutely yeah and, and just from that experience you know when i was listening to andrew he was talking about selling that property right and instantly in my mind it's like well why sell it why don't you just license it you know mm-hmm. it's a gift that keeps on giving right so and, when netflix comes to me for a special then i talk <laughs> yeah. to you right absolutely I did okay. TV and film too, if you really want to know in the late 90s. So yeah, but yeah, you, you always want to try for the license. You can exert some control over it and you kind of get it back. And in fact- Yeah, they in, expire. Yeah, in fact- in, That's what uh, George right, Lucas should have done. expire. Um, so, um, you know, that's how you can kind of get it. But, you know, and you can do hybrids, all mm-hmm. that stuff, but absolutely. There's only a few things you can do with a piece of property, buy, sell, or license it. There's mm-hmm. nothing else, whether it's intangible or tangible. And then a house, a lot, whatever you want to call it. There's only three things you can do it by. You could destroy it, I guess, but you know, (laughs) business wise buy, sell or license. There's no in between. So it's relatively easy. And in most of the intellectual property of the world is licensed. Mm -hmm. Very rarely Mm -hmm. do you have a complete sale. And there could be perpetual life. There could be a 50 year Mm -hmm. license, you know, stuff like that. But, um, you know, and a lot of the people that are these inventors of board games, from my understanding, um, they they there are families out there that created. Is it Scrabble? I think yep. that was a family game, uh, or Yahtzee. One of those two. And they're yep. still making money off that. Mm-hmm. There's still license there. You know, Richard Garfield invention. with Magic the Gathering. Yeah, I knew and... a skiba, I knew a guy that made a a a, 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 a like a like a transition. I, I don't call it, but it's where the the, the shin goes to the foot uh, for a ski boot. Mm-hmm. Right. It's a design. Right. And it's a piece of plastic that folds a certain way. Just the flexibility. You know, he's been making money off that for 20 years. He gets a dollar or two bucks per pair of boots sold for wow. perpetual forever. Yeah. You know, that's a great one. Those things happen awesome. all the time. Yeah. Yeah. And then when it comes to selling businesses, are there any things which are, are red flags? For example, debts, is that sort of just a, a, a big no-no that you can't really sell a business if you're in debt? Or can you sell your debts on? How, how does that work? Well, you know, it's very rare that there's two types of sales. There's a stock sale and an asset sale. A stock sale is when you're actually buying the entity, the corporation or the LLC. And when you do that, you're you're absorbing all the liabilities of that right so so such as a debt 
right? And no one really, you know, that's not very popular in selling businesses. Don't think like these huge, you know, Google buying YouTube. We're not talking about that. We're talking about more Main Street, me and you type things, right? So, mm-hmm. you know, basically it's very, very, very rare that, you know, think one in a thousand that they're going to, someone's going to do a stock sale for a sale of a business under 5 million. They don't want your corporation. They got their own relationships. They got their own systems, their own vendors. They certainly don't want your liabilities. So the other type of sale is called an asset sale, which is kind of, you know, your DBA, your fictitious business name statement, your phone number, your website, your intellectual property, you know, maybe your equipment, your inventory, those types of things. So those are much more common in, um, okay. you know, at our level. So they're all asset sales. And, mm-hmm. um, you know, you make it easy, if that makes sense. And that way you can carry your debt with you. And basically, if I'm selling to you, Sean, I'm going to sell to, you know, I have a debt of 50 cents. I'm selling you for a dollar. You, you know, you give me the dollar. I give you all this property. And then I use that dollar and pay off my debt mm-hmm. okay. on my time. It's my own thing. Now, there's one other thing that I wanted to bring up, which is something that I have found. Um, it can be kind of embarrassing to share numbers and to even begin the process. Um, do you have, is that a common thing? You know, there it's it's really easy when you're making tons of money and you're super profitable and you can be super proud of the numbers that you can put forth. You know, that that's kind mm-hmm. of the the mindset I would figure, you know, would make it easy to sell or to talk to a business broker and say, yeah, you want to see three years of my taxes, check it out, you know, or whatever. But I, I, I would, I would wager to say that a lot of, there's something to be embarrassed about with every single sale. Every business owner is um, not going to be in a place where they're like, you know, we crush it and I have nothing to hide. Um, <laughs> uh, but like maybe, you know, can you talk about that a little bit? Because I think that that's something that I've felt, um, you know, like I, I don't know if it's going to be a good thing if I show these three years of taxes, uh, like we lost money for two of them or whatever. Um, you know, is that, is that something that you encounter on a regular basis? Like maybe some, something that stops somebody from working with you that should just pull the trigger and, you know, no, I, I, when I say, when you say prevent from working with me, no, I think that's the reason why they seek me out because, Mm -hmm. you know, what I'm marketing for my services is a, is a complimentary and confidential evaluation, which is, you know, a reality check. Right. And so like, I'm on your side, I'm your broker. Right. And so there has to be some sort of trust developed there. And that's why we kind of start with evaluation because we want to make sure we're on the same page. You know, I've done evaluation and there's absolutely no value. I probably do, you know, three to five a week. And I'd say one of those is no value. It's not going to work, right? No matter how much subjective value you say it is, I'm not going to be able to sell this, right? Just it's not going to work. So I have those conversations often. And, you know, the other kind I have is that, well, they're breaking even, right? But they're pulling out a lot of money for themselves, right? And that's what makes them break even. Well, there's different types of multiples, not just a net profit multiple. There's also a revenue multiple, right? You know, there's also what they call seller's discretionary earnings multiple. So I'm finding the justification that I would be talking to a potential buyer and saying, well, 
they're not breaking even. I said, well, he's pulling 600,000 out. If he didn't pull that out, you know, to pay for his, his, his new garage or whatever you said, the new steel structure on your lawn, Andrew, and the health insurance and the, and the cell phone and the Costco runs and the Staples runs, you know, then you would have 600 of net profit, right? Sometimes sellers don't even realize that. They don't know there's more than one multiple. They don't understand that we can build value through equipment or through what they're pulling out of the business. Or that we, you know, some people are just looking for revenue, right? Because with a lot of zeros, you can float things for a long time as we re, re, restructure the expenses. So that's why we start with evaluation. And when you start listening to this, right, you're like, oh, okay, maybe I do want to hear this because you don't know what you don't know, you know? And so the idea is, hey, I couldn't really, you know, there are some brokers out there that charge money for valuations, which is just beyond me. Because how do you get into the conversation to begin with to try to establish the trust, the relationship? You know, you pay me this and I'll do evaluation. I just say, hey, let me see your P&Ls for a few years. Let me run it and let's chat about it because I don't want you as a client if you have unrealistic expectations or, and, and, and you, and, 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 but, and, and people, people like that, you know, and that's how you kind of operate. That's how we kind of operate. That's awesome. Brian, yeah. yeah. I'll, I'll add, I'll add one thing before you, before you hop in, Sean, the, uh, uh just a, more of a comment than anything is that, um, one of the first things that I was asked was, um, you know, by the person looking to buy our company was how much do I pay myself? And that was an immediate, like, okay, it actually makes more money than, um, you yeah. know, that, or it, it, it generates if without his salary, it generates more, you know, and, and something I didn't really think about initially that there's, there's, even if we're breaking even, or we had, you know, I want to say in 2022, we had a, $2,000 net loss or something. It's like that would actually be a lot higher and would be net income if I, my salary wasn't factored in or whatever. So but that was an interesting uh, point of information. That's right. So. That's right. People are trying to become you by buying your business. They want to know how they're going to live off of it. Yeah. And so we got to <laughs> tell them this is, you know, you get a steel structure on your lawn and you know, the whole, the whole nine yards. You can use it for whatever one of your you know. That's, awesome. that's kind of the idea. I'm I'm holding off until I get to build a steel structure on my lawn with a sky bridge to my house. There you go. <laughs> so. Prefab. Prefab. That's all I gotta tell you. Prefabricated. <laughs> cheaper. So Brian, what if someone is listening to this podcast right now and they, they've got a, a huge IP that's that's very successful, it's got a lot of brand recognition and they're they're wanting to license and see if someone else will carry the the torch so to speak how can they get in contact with you what's the best way to reach out to you well i um i i'll give you my my confidential i'm just confidential i'll give you my um my my credentials but i want to point out that i love to talk shop you know and a purpose in my life is really the most important purpose is to help people and I know that sounds a little corny, but it is a cornerstone of, of how I operate day in and day out. So please call or write me. Be happy to um, chat with you for a while. You know, I have forms and stuff like that where that are automated where I could kind of get, you know, you could enter information on your time. But please call me or write me. And again, we offer complimentary and confidential evaluations and consultations. So my name is Brian Gonzalez. My email 
is B as in boy, G as in girl. My name's not boy girl. It's Brian Gonzalez, right? So BG at, and then it's called the Verdad firm.com. So that would be V as in Victor, E R, D as in dog, A, D as in dog, F as in Frank, I R, M as in Mary.com. So BG at Verdad. Some people call it Verdad. BG <laughs> at Verdad firm.com. Or you can call Thanks. me on my cell phone which I love. And I answer on nights and weekends and holidays. And I respond when I'm available. Um, 619-777-6884. That's 619-777-6884. And that's a, a one uh, international. If, if somebody had, you know, had one or two, that's a U.S. based number. Yeah. It's a Google number too. So they're going to, we're going to screen you and awesome. make sure. And make sure, you know, say something like, I heard you on the podcast, or I heard you here, or I know Andrew, or I know Sean, or something like that. It'd be helpful, right? Um, but I, but I, I, I honestly and earnestly love talking shop. I just love it. You know, my, my life, my whole life is a deal structure, you know, it's <laughs> been helping people. So put it that way. That's awesome. Well, for, for my part, it's been super educational and informative. I, loved having you on this podcast and you know we every once in a while we venture away from marketing to business i mean these things matter to the people that listen and um i just want to thank you for your time because uh, and expertise because it was very apparent to me the expertise that you had and i learned a lot myself great no problem well i really appreciate um this opportunity to share my knowledge with everybody I, I hope that you and Sean and everybody that's going to listen to this or is listening, um, you know, have a wonderful day, you know, and feel right. free to please contact me. All right. Well, then um, we're going to have Robot Richard send us out. Well, that's all the time we have for this week's episode of Crowdfunding Nerds. For more resources, articles, and to listen to past podcasts, please visit us at crowdfundingnerds.com. And if you have a crowdfunding question, we also have a page on our site where you can send a message directly to us. Please visit crowdfundingnerds.com forward slash question. And if your question is a great question, we may include it in a future podcast. Thank you all again for listening to this week's episode, and we'll see you next week. Stay nerdy. Stay nerdy.